Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so tonight I'm here with actor extraordinaire Neil Helligers. He's a narrator, actor, and educator who lives in Brooklyn, New York. He's narrated numerous audiobooks with a focus in speculative fiction and non, as well as lent voice to various video games and commercials. Recent on-camera work includes roles in CBS's Madam Secretary, Netflix's House of Cards, and NBC's Law & Order SVU. Neil has performed Shakespeare nationally and internationally, and has directed and taught said bard to actors of all ages. He has a BA from the University of Pennsylvania in theater arts and psychology, and an MFA in acting from Trinity Rep Conservatory. Neil, how are you? I'm very good. That was very well read, James. I really appreciate Thank that. You. Thank yeah, you. It, it makes you sound so so fascinating. I've never, you know, I've never heard it. Uh, you know, I think I wrote that one relatively recently, and I never, I've never heard it out loud. And um, it's very helpful <laughs> because I can think of a few edits I would like to do immediately. <laughs> <laughs> said bard what the hell you know i mean that doesn't that didn't that was too voicey it was too voicey uh you know i i went with it good yeah no i mean you, you made it work um but for the i mean for the purposes of uh, hearing it out loud but seeing that on the page which i think is just confusing you know said bard what the bard say you have you know <laughs> so um okay in, in my prep for uh this interview i i know you i've known you for God, for years now yeah. oddly enough yeah um but i i still wanted to to get up to date on on what you've been doing recently uh see what what's going on stalking. on audible yes yes i was talking sure right? yeah no, um, professional that's, professionally no that's that's the whole reason yeah. for for the, the podcast right so, exactly yeah. and it's not stalking if it's research yes true. Uh, <laughs> you've got 85 audiobooks listed there and I started like to to make note of all of the genre fiction ones, all of the the books that might fit into what we want to talk about. Sure. And I gave up <laughs> listing all. Like it became easier to just list the series instead. There are a number. Um, yes, there are a lot. I've been I've been yeah. There's been a lot of lot of lot of series work, which has been good in terms of you know longer story, better story. You know more. Oh in my gosh. Yeah. It's. It's and and you're you're all oh you own this genre the uh, times like these uh, which is up I think to like book four yeah book four uh, just uh, came out like uh, yeah. last week just came out yeah the great time travel series by congratulations Nathan. yeah thank you um, uh, viral superhero series yeah I, that, I, which I just wrapped one of today that's the pushing on seven books altogether um, and that's uh, teenage superhero saves the world, kind of a Whedon esque kind of you know as they do as they do yeah I mean what else are they going to do with the superpowers <laughs> and but and like tons of awkward relationship stuff too because he's like legitimately a teenager and um, has like a couple of exes but you know um, hilarity ensues and nice. like Dark Souls and things like that 
So to, how does the author uh, capture that that whole teenage feel and do a good job? A lot of really like genuinely awkward conversations. You remember how on um, Friday Night Lights, Coach's daughter, like they were like, oh, she's like these conversations are so legitimately awkward teenager. And there, there was one camp that believed that and the other camp were like, maybe she's not as good an actor as everyone else. Like, no, I believe that like that they, the awkwardness has to sort of hang out there and it's juxtaposed in this series with like, you know, then he uses his powers to stop the, you know, like the Lycos wolf demon coming in through the window, you know, very inconvenient at the same time, you know, but he just, he can't, it's, it's a, you know, there's a, there's lots of team happening. Like, you know, are you a uh, team Erica or are you team Natalie kind of a thing going on? It's, it's conscious of itself and, and it's taking place over a few years and it's current in the sense of like, dude, this ain't the hunger games kind of level of referencing. So, you know, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, there's obviously Domino Finn's series, uh, black magic outlaw. Yeah. Which also had another, a recent, very recent installment as well, Death March. Um, and that's, you know, uh, the, both of those, well, in times, I should say, in times like these, I, I, I should say to represent, in times like these series, that time travel series with Nathan, um, the Viral Superhero series, and Domino series are all independently produced ACX platformed books. Um, and those, those, those three series, well, I mean, particularly the ones I started with, which was in times like these with the Chronathon um, three years ago, and then Domino not long after that, were sort of the backbone of all the other work that I did coming out of that in terms of, I guess you could call it, we call it branding, um, but also in terms of the kind of work I wanted to do. In times like these is sci-fi, um, but I, I think of it as sufficiently advanced technology that is indiscernible from magic. Um, in terms of like how the mechanism that he created for time travel and the stories, you know, um, he really does have like the best time travel mechanism, like setup explanation, understanding that I've ever come across. Like, it's really great in terms of like, he doesn't compensate just for time, but location as well. Like, and you think about it, it's like, Oh, right. Of course. If I were to teleport in this booth five minutes ahead in, in, in time, like the planet is moving, the solar system's moving. Like I wouldn't be right here. I'd be probably fused to like, you know, um, the Empire State Building or something like that. Um, so he takes that into effect as well, too. But that and then Domino's series, um, which is a, you know, a blend of all different kind of cultural magics that converge in Miami, which is kind of great. Um, uh, all the different immigrant uh, communities that are there and how they interact with each other and how that kind of enters into an American generation. So the main character is a, you know, he's a necromancer and he has, but he has a patron also um, in, in voodoo and, and, you know, he interacts with all these different kinds of mythical creatures that kind of converge. Uh, weirdly, in times like these takes place around St. Petersburg, you know, on the Gulf Coast of Florida mm -hmm. and in time, and then Domino series is in Miami which is like, so on the East coast. So for a while I was like bopping back and forth between these like different locales in Florida, which is, you know, I mean, I live in New York, so it's a sort of, and my grandmother's down there. So she's very happy about it. Nice. So, okay. You, you mentioned that, um, you know, these series, uh, is sort of formed the backbone of this larger foray into genre fiction for you. Is this, um, was it consciously sought out by you or was it, Hey, I got this one. I seem to be doing good at it. And then somebody else wanted me to do theirs or, you know what I mean? Like, is this, is this a, a happy accident? Is this a, a I'm good at them. So I keep going. 
or are you, you know, a fan of, of these kinds of books? I mean, I, I, I'm, it is by design. I mean, not all the books that I have read or have read are genre fiction, but certainly growing up and, and by and large, that's, you know, what, what I consumed in, you know, mass quantities was, you know, fantasy, high fantasy, sci-fi, you know, um, as, you know, whatever I had time to kind of pour through, starting back, you know, pre-golden age for sci-fi all the way through Arthur C. Clarke and all that and through into our, no, more contemporary like Alistair Reynolds and things like that. But also on the fantasy side of things, like everyone, you know, like Tolkien as as, as, as many. Um, but then, but, but, you know, actually when it comes down to it, I don't think I ever read specifically urban fantasy or I don't know if urban fantasy was as a, certainly hasn't been as abundant as high fantasy has been, I think. Um, and so when I landed in it, like I want to narrate the kind of books that I want to read. Um, and that applies to genre and the books themselves. And so when I was going into auditioning for these things, I would, you know, I would, you know, throw a wider net. I was trying to get myself kind of going, of course, too, but um, the ones I gravitated towards and, you know, um, work to work to get, or, you know, work through a few audition rounds of like, yeah, let me, let me take that again. You want that guy like that? Okay. And then build that relationship with those, with those authors. And that had been continually doing books for years, but also, um, I've kind of like with particularly again, with those two series, um, I started doing those books a couple, two or three years ago and it's, I do them now and it's like, oh, like that's what three years of narrating this feels like or three and a half years or however long exactly it's kind of been. But yeah, no, it's yeah. by design. I, I've been more recently starting to do a bit more contemporary fiction, which is kind of nice too, because good writing is, is, is good. Um, it's good writing. It's, it's good. Um, but, uh, but I, I still, you know, still when I have time to read for pleasure, it's always, you know, it's always, uh, almost always, you know, uh, sci-fi or fantasy or something along those lines or convergence of the two if possible so yeah yeah so um one of the things i often hear when people talk about um sort of contemporary literature uh is that they they enjoy exploring the human condition mm -hmm. and um I, i'm every time i hear that um it, it makes me think about genre fiction and, of course, all the other things that get thrown in. We're not just talking about the human condition, but we're also talking about, you know, dead, undead, supernatural, you know, all these other things. Um, and the more I think about it, the more, and maybe this is just me projecting and, and justifying my, my passion here, um, but, I, but I find them as as interesting and unique ways to explore the human condition in ways that might not be so easy otherwise yes and, and so I, I guess my question is are you going to back me up on this <laughs> what the hell are you talking yeah, yeah well i've always felt that i mean that's what's great about going back and looking at older sci-fi um is that you see the values of that generation represented in you know what they want in the future and certain things that everyone wants like flying cars for example um but really just in terms of like how things, uh, where we see ourselves going. And it's inherently, I mean, that's the thing. It's inherently optimistic to be like, oh, I mean, the earth in earth in 200 years is going to be like this and not be like, oh, we're not really going to be on earth in 200 years, you know, um, <laughs> and different how different authors treat that. Um, uh, maybe you know, Kim Stanley Robinson has got that great. Um, he's got a lot of great books, but he has this great trilogy. Um Red Mars, Blue Mars, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars, in which it's it's about the terraforming of Mars um, and 
or the uh, era forming, as they eventually start calling it, um, as uh, making it not just a copy of Earth. And in that, there's a big event where a big ice, you know, well, I can't spoil this too much, but there's there's something that happens that makes everyone have to go to Mars, basically. Um, and it's, it's, it's not exactly within our lifetimes, but not too far off, you know. Um, and so that's how we, you know, how else are we going to get the message across that these are serious problems unless there's a vivid, evocative, emotionally connected, intellectually supported um, rendition of this was what's going to happen. You know, like I'm sitting here in Brooklyn. I'm in Park Slope, which means I'm on a hill. So <laughs> I might be all right. I might be OK. But like, you know, we saw that in Hurricane Sandy, Lower Manhattan, you know, the subways, all that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, and I that's certainly been the case with sci fi. I think with urban fantasy too, it feels like it's it's it, the mirror. Is, I guess it was what I was saying before about um, Black Magic Outlaw being, in a way, about the multicultural experience, the melting pot of Miami, and how that figures into all these older traditions and how they've converged. So, in a way, I feel like those characters are always looking back because they're always cursed, you know, <laughs> or, you know, or dealing with old tomes that they don't want around anymore, you know, um, uh, and, and that, you know, wanting to, you know, deal with the past uh, as opposed to sci-fi, which is sort of throwing things more into the future, you know, um, both obviously being equally important. How can you know where you're going if you don't know where you've come from? And how do you know where you're going if you don't know if the planet will be flooded? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sort of playing off on the um, contemporary lit and, and genre fiction, um, you do uh, some stage and screen acting as well. I have. Yes. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your, your bio also doesn't mention the cameos that you have done. Uh, yeah. Kimmy Schmidt, um, seen you on the, the late show. Um, and it, it's, when you have a role, at least when, when I've seen you on TV, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you have, you, you have a type. Yeah. You, well, right. I have, I have you a, are... I have a beard. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, okay. So, I mean, the background about that is that, I mean, yeah, I, I, I used to do a lot of the stage used to be what I, you know, did was like how I acted, you know, uh, and that was over a number of years after getting out of grad school and, um, working for Shakespeare festivals, um, in the New York area or in New York or, uh, touring companies, uh, around the country or a little bit out of the country. Um, and then at a certain point when it was family time to really kind of make that work, that, for I made the decision that that was wasn't the path I wanted to maintain. So change over to doing commercial work most often. It, the idea was on camera work, and that took the form of a lot of like goofy dad. This was like the height of Modern Family, so everyone was looking for Phil to be their family dad guy, and so I didn't have a beard then um, because those guys didn't have beards. So um, that's what I was doing, and it was okay. I was working fairly regularly for that kind of work. Um, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, I need to localize, uh, and, and kind of dig into like, what is it that I want to really be doing here? Um, alongside some of this other stuff, the idea wasn't to cut anything out or any opportunities, but, um, started, um, you know, working in audiobooks. I, I did that thing, um, uh, where, you know, I, 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 I looked up a narrator and who I knew from grad school, um, uh, and like just picked her brain um so um and so i did that thing in the coffee shop and she was incredibly gracious enough to like not you know to like to accept and you know kind of build things from there um uh 
and then yeah kind of like kind of sort of pursued everything kind of expanding outward from there but the idea also was i, I still wanted to be doing other kind of acting work at the same time getting once i had a son doing a show was harder and harder for a while i couldn't travel anywhere if i was doing shakespeare a lot of that work would have been regional and i'm not going away for six weeks or something like that as much as as much as in some ways i would like to and maybe i will someday uh, but it's been about these yeah roles and then once I started narrating, I could grow a beard again, you see. And so that has, I, I, I honestly feel like a lot of these roles I've been doing recently of our like um, doctors, doctor is very, you know, is very, been very consistent. It's been like three or four doctors and um, yeah, Kimmy Schmidt was rich guy, you know, um, uh, I do these like occasional little spots on Fallon where it's always oh also like a dad thing. Like it was specifically like a dad squad um for Bob Odenkirk when he was on the show. And the other week was a thing like I was a summer dad arguing with another dad. Um, so I guess that's like goofy dad, but with a beard. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, cast. <laughs> um, that, that was the name of the character. Goofy dad, with, but with a beard. With beard, as opposed to distinguish from goofy dad sounds beard, you know. So, um, so and those are those kind of gigs are, you know, I, I, I like, of course, everyone says that I like to do doing more of that. Um and it's it's the only thing that's scheduled that works around books, of course, because it's only ever a couple of days here and there. And I generally build my schedule with enough time for a couple of days here and there for um, for that. And it's, you know, assuming that it works out OK to do go do the audition, you know, which is a two and a half hours hole in my reading schedule, you know. So um, but if it works out, it's you know, it's 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 a. You know, I always keep saying, oh, I need to focus on doing more of that. And then I ended up doing, you know, I have to sit down to like, oh, I'm going to submit myself for some projects. I end up doing the same thing for audiobook anyway. So um, I know <laughs> I need to be more diligent. I, I need to put like, for example, those recent spots I need to actually like I have all the clips on my computer. I just need to put them into a reel and do whatever one does with a reel. I mean, put it out there in various formats. But um, I haven't um, I haven't had the time because thankfully I've been busy. So. Um, so. You've got, I mean, now, of course, because of the beard, mm -hmm. you are invariably doctor, scientist, professor. Yes. I mean, that's, I mean even, even other narrators, like when we get together, uh, we, we comment on, uh, the beard. by the way, we talk, we, we talk about you, um, <laughs> no, about, you know, you know, Professor Helliger's, you just, you, you have that look, um, it's also, then, it's also because you, listeners can't see this, but it's also the, the beard has has a gray on the chin and that gets, puts probably puts about 10 anywhere between five to 10 years on me, which I think translates to experience and wisdom um, when it's, it's really so just a lack of pigmentation. But um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it, it's it, that it's the glasses. It's it's the whole package. Right. I mean, like I in my mind, every. Every jacket you own has leather patches on the elbows. That's, that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, and and I they don't, but um, but but <laughs> the, the 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 notion of them is that they do. You know, what is it that Homer Simpson did? He put corduroy patches on a leather jacket. That's what I would I, I would prefer that corduroy arm uh, elbow patches on a leather jacket. No, that would be my. Thing. But then, but then you come home and you go into the audio booth mm -hmm. and, and can't wear that jacket. You know. Well, but suddenly the beard doesn't matter right now. Now you're you're anybody and everybody. And I'm, I'm like, how have you ever consciously thought about that transition from, you know, I step out because you're an actor in both places. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, whether you're on stage in front of the camera or, or in front of the microphone, you're acting. But, you know, you you step out of this magic little box yeah. 
and you are, you know, Professor Helliger's, and then suddenly you step in here and, you know, you're, you're everybody. I mean, I'm, so I'm, I'm listening right now to uh, Tempest Investigations. Ah, yeah. And I want to talk about this later on, okay. uh, but I have to be careful because I don't want you to spoil anything oh. for me because I'm, I'm right at the point where, you know, he, he just met Michael face to face and, uh -huh. you know, the guys up on the wall. And yeah, so anyway, <laughs> um, um, you know, and it, it's one of those things where, I mean, I've, I've listened to all of the Domino Finn books. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, I, actually, I auditioned for that first one. Oh, yeah, because that was an ACX. Uh, there were a lot. Of, yeah, it was the, it was the deliberative yeah. series. I, I think Joe did, too. And, yeah, I uh, think someone, I know someone. I, but I, I'm so pleased that, that you got it. You've been doing fantastic oh, with you. it. And um, there's there's that transition, like when, you know, I'd say the first chapter and a half where I'm listening to the book and, and you're Neil. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I'm picturing you mm -hmm. and it's I'm listening to you and I'm listening to your performance. And then, you know, 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes in, all of a sudden, Neil is just gone. Right. I mean, I'm, I am transported into the story and you are then all of these other people. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm see, I, I don't do any stage or screen acting. I just do this, this behind the mic. And I, I, I was wondering today as I was at the gym and, and listening, um, how, I mean, it, it, does it occur to you? Do you think about how, um, you know, things are so dramatically different oh, yeah. and, and freeing here in, in the booth where you literally can be all of these different people, I'm probably a solid 98% of them who don't have the leather patches on the, <laughs> yeah. the elbows of their jackets. Yeah, certainly not in, uh, in Black Magic Yellow World. Well, I, I you know, it, it's more of it's like it, it became the kind of choice that when I decided that, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I've been listening to audiobooks for a long time. And I knew I, I was aware, of course, that like <laughs> this was something that human beings had to make at some point. Right. You know, um, but I was like, oh, once I like really gave thought to it, I was like, oh, that's because. Um, it, it uses so many of the other skills that like I, I, you know, I do dialect work and things like that and vocal placement and all that, all that training that I had in, in, you know, in school and in grad school um, to really utilize all of that in a way that I didn't get, I certainly didn't get to, I mean, on, on stage, you know, you can do a lot of, I've done a lot, a lot of crazy stuff on stage, um, but I don't, I don't do that work anymore. A commercial work was all about, um, like I've kind of already said about type. The, the kind of guy you're looking for. And it could be a lot of fun. It could be pretty zany. It can, it's largely, it could be very improvisational. Um, but also, yeah. And then the TV thing is also about that look that you cultivate and that you get cast for and that works for you and the type of person and it's, you're in that box. But, um, you know, doing, doing all of these, it's like, you know, just someone say at some point it's like, I get to play all the characters, you know, um, particularly the play, playing women, you know, I mean, aside from, you know, the Black Magic Outlaw is packed with all these great, like the one scene is like a conversation between a, a Haitian and Nigerian and, you know, uh, the main character who's a Cuban American. And, um, and I, and then there's like another Haitian in the room just to keep things interesting. Um, that, so that kind of like differentiating between like, oh, that's French inflected. Oh, uh, the one version of that dialect and that's English inflected. That stuff I love. But how often would I get to be doing a mix of those kind of uh, cultural dialects and like not right. maybe one of them yeah maybe possibly but not all of them you know in, you, in you are you are never going to be an old haitian woman no in a commercial no you're just not i mean not and if i did 
I would get to do it for like a, a minute and then it would be over with not as, as opposed to having to really sustain an emotionally connected and when everyone has their different objectives and there are conflicts between each other and have to be re- developed and resolved and, 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 and beat out in the same way that you would beat out a scene, you know, um, in terms of how, how, what happens, how it's structured. Um, so it's, it, it feels like, you know, it feels like a good fit for that. And it's fun to be able to do, um, to, to really kind of invest in those characters too, you know, um, a book that I did relatively recently, um, that is, uh, was my first sort of like legit, like police procedural thriller, um, uh, called the, uh, thief of all light that, uh, that is basically, um, it's main two characters. It's Santero and rain. And they're sort of, it's sort of an odd couple kind of partnering thing that happens. Um, but a lot of the book is her, um, and I'm reading, I'm like, oh, like this, so this feels like this, it's not first person, it's third person, but so much of it was her. And then it, then it switches to his informed third person point of view increasingly as it goes along. I'm like, oh, I guess what they're seeing here too. But it was great to be her for so much and to just be in her head and, and, and go about what she wanted to do. And, you know, um, and though, and that'll be say also like, you know, the particularities, particularities of the genre, uh, fiction is that, for example, in the uh, in the Nathan's uh, Time Like These series, there are multiple versions of the same character from different timelines interacting with each other, um, which, you know, it's sort of like, thank God I listened to Bobaverse to know how, how, how Mr. Porter does that in terms of like what drives character voice isn't so much, well, he's got a French inflected Haitian accent and he's got a Nigerian accent, which is British inflected. It's just like, this person has this concern on their mind and the other person doesn't know what the problem is. And like, that's the character voice. Um, even if it's not, I'm not doing anything inflection or placement or dialect or things like that. So, um, you know, so yeah, all of that stuff, I, I, I just really like geek out on our, if it wasn't, you know, I know I'm being very, uh, you know, subtle about it, but, um, that you, to be, and they're also, you know, and then alien voices to create dialects when you're, or you're doing that thing in high fantasy when you're, crafting out like how everyone's you know how this culture is across an ocean so they can't sound exactly the same um but you're not going to start pulling out you know well well they're russian exactly but you have to have to navigate all that stuff too that happens in genre fiction um i really love as well too having the opportunity to kind of decide by voice um uh, giving everyone their their own providence and their own you know identity and character and intention and emotion and all of that too (laughs) you are such a nerd (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean that we in, all are. In, I mean, so everyone, so right, everyone looks around yeah. at APAC and was like, look, all these nerds here, nerd, 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 nerd. And someone's like, I'm not. Yes, you are. Like, you're very, like some guy, like you're, you're a very handsome nerd, but we're all nerds here. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I immediately thought of like Will Daniel. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's like, what we, I had in my mind as well. Will, I'm, you're a very handsome man, uh, but I think you might also be a dork like all the rest of us, but I don't, I don't, I don't know you. Maybe we'll have a conversation now that I'm talking about you on James' podcast. James's podcast. Yeah, you know, I, I hope he is. Yeah. I hope he's a dork sure. like us. Yeah. Uh, but oh my God, I mean, he is like picture. <laughs> imagine what you think Superman would look like. If Yeah. And a, that, that's Will Daniel. And, and there's a booth already there. It's amazing. It's perfect. It, it, like no one would suspect a thing. I've never seen Will Dameron in the same room as Superman, however. So, you know. Well, have you read his book? <laughs> no, I haven't. Again, oh I, I, if I given infinite See? time, you know. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's not fair. What is it? Right. You know, yes. what, the book is the book is great. He's incredibly handsome. He's a talented actor and narrator. Mm-hmm. It, it's not it's not fair. <laughs> 
right? It's just, uh, did you play D&D growing up? Um, I did a little D&D yeah, earlier on. I played yeah. D&D growing up. Um, I, 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 so if I, if I make a comment that say like he cheated when he was rolling his stats, then you understand yes, what I mean. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nobody gets that many 18s. Well, no. stop it. <laughs> Where are you getting your dice, Will? Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but this isn't about Will Denver. No, it's not. It's not. I actually, I train. I, I actually, you know, more than D and D, I was kind of more on the Dragonlance side of that whole equation, which there was mm -hmm. a little bit of role playing. It wasn't as well developed as D and D, of course, and that not as widely. But do you know ever read the, the Dragonlance books? Uh, you know, uh, they, they were about you know dragons and there were lances and they were killing <laughs> dragons. And uh, I think I remember. Yeah, that. but it had a whole cult. It had a whole like expansive. Uh, post cataclysmic culture thing going on so it was like it was like sci-fi it was like sorry it was um high fantasy post-apocalyptic um uh which was kind of cool too but they, they had their own kind of like stunted version of the same of D and D, and i did some of that so yeah probably a little more than D, &D but still incredibly yeah still dorky yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um We've talked about your your uh, stage and screen acting, your your voice acting. Um, you are, uh, you know, one of those uh, rare uh, creatures in, in the world today, which is a a working successful actor. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm wondering, what have you had to give up to be where you are today? Hmm. I think specifically doing what I'm doing, um, it's, it's almost like not doing the other thing that I was doing that was, was good, but it was not, not sustainable. And I guess I mean by that, by doing Shakespeare, I don't, you know, I think when it comes down to that on one level, uh, that, that I would say that would be one thing. Like I don't get to do Shakespeare anymore, except when I, I, I've, I've somehow convinced the, the, the good folks at the here now festival to let me come and do a Shakespeare thing with them once a year. And that's like my one time a year that I get to be like, you know, invested in the bard again, which is, we used to be like all I did in terms of teaching and also in acting. Um, that would be one thing. I always kind of feel like I, I, well, when I actually initially went to college, um, I was my, my, I was convinced that I wanted to become a rabbi. Um, and that was as a result of some pretty intense uh, experiences I had in high school with religion. You know, it, it wasn't so much a like it, it was the, the culture of Reform Judaism and it's specifically its its modes of political activism really appealed to me in terms of um, how the reform movement had been involved historically with, um, you know, for example, like this, the Civil Rights Acts were drafted at the Religious Action Center, which is the reform movement's political lobbying office in D.C., like that kind of stuff. Um, and the notion of tikkun olam, which is a um, sort of a Kabbalistic understanding of healing the world. That, healing the world. Right, yeah, yeah. That, like it was deliberately created imperfectly and our purpose is to fix the cracks, um, as it were. Um, doing a lot of that kind of work, I, I wanted to be doing a lot of that kind of stuff and I wanted to do it as a rabbi. And I it became pretty quickly clear to me upon arriving to college and with a full load of, religious studies and psychology courses that it wasn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't what was working right for me. And I had been doing, you know, theater since I was a little kid. And so when I got to college, I was going to do, you know, shows, of course, in terms of extracurricularly, but slowly but surely my focus shifted into like, no, the way I want to, um, you know, 
we be it through theater or theater education um, to have a direct social impact in terms of um, uh, helping everyone understand more about themselves and the world and, and and history and culture and all those things was theater was the was the better vehicle for me because I was never a, a, that much of a traditionalist religiously uh, I was never much of a you know I never yeah I, I, as a growing up Jewish bar mitzvah and all of that but I was never we, you know it was also a matter of like our household um, uh, coming from my dad's side of the family his mom was catholic his dad was protestant and so and that's not happening on one side and my mom's side of the family was jewish and since i came out of the magical jewish womb i was jewish um and so but and was raised that way um and i'm 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 glad for all of that foundation but um i moved away into theater and that became the thing and blah 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 um Part of me does wish that what I was doing um, on a full professional basis was more of a direct social action impact. You know, I, I like the idea that there are ideas contained in these books that might be um, instructional, educational, um, if, if particularly for nonfiction. You know, there's great like the, one of the first books I ever did, um, Dreamland by Sam Quinones, is this great book about the history of the um, uh, heroin epidemic and how it how it started, how it combined with the, uh, from big pharma and all of that. Um, but still it's not the same as, um, working on a local level with directly with communities. Um, I know I can always do some more of that, but it, it, it's not what, what I, my full professional focus is right now that is invested in supporting my family and career and all those kinds of things. Um, so it's not, I mean, that's like, you know, in, in the alternate timeline, there is a Neil, I guess, is probably doing all that. And, you know, um, who's probably saying, yeah, but I always like being in plays. I wish I could do that more often. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, God bless that guy. But, um, you know, that's, I, I would say that's, you know, um, so, some kind of mode of career or, or calling that um, could have more of a direct impact than I sometimes feel like I'm working through using obscure tools to try to do this, the thing that I could have been doing in a direct manner. You know, um, it's not a regret so much as it is an awareness of that other timeline, I guess, you know, again, that's, this is the pit, one of the pitfalls of doing uh, you know, time travel fiction is you start thinking like, Oh, all of my choices led to different things. Like what's happening over there, you know, um, what if I had that sandwich instead of that sandwich? How would my life be different in five years? Mm-hmm. It's all about sandwiches when it comes down to it. <laughs> do I get the wrap? Do I get the open face? Do I? So, all right. We you 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 mentioned briefly, very very briefly, almost snuck it in there. Esoteric Judaism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about multiple timelines. I I I, I have to ask. Mm. Um, well, I don't have to. I want to sure. ask. I'm deeply curious. Um. Where do you fall, Neil Helligers, uh-huh. on the various realms, issues, things, people, whatever, supernatural in general, ghosts, uh, you know, vampires, zombies, whatever. Um, in terms believe, of believe, don't believe, you know, that that whole thing out there. Where, where well, are you on that? Are you a complete skeptic? Or no, you... I'm not. A, I'm not a complete skeptic. Um, I... So one one thing I'll say, the first thing that comes to mind is that when I was a senior in high school, uh, we had a very cool physics teacher, Mr. Goodyear, a great teacher. And he, for our senior paper, he got, let you do like whatever you wanted to do as long as you could support it with science, you know. And my, my, my like senior term paper for my physics class senior year, excuse me, was um, the scientific background of ghosts, um, this sort of paranormal 
exploration, but also the scientific exploration. And there's, I mean, as you can imagine, there's tons of stuff out there. Um, but the convincing stuff that I kind of put into the paper was having to do with the existence of ghosts of being maybe not specifically um, soul free from corporeal form. But in this case, the, what it, the, the thesis of the paper was that most ghosts um, result from violent deaths. And one of the things that happens physiologically at a violent death is that the nervous system goes flash, you know, and so that most hauntings happen in the specific location, specific environment and specific time around the death or the pattern behavior of of that person when they were alive. The widow walking the widow walk who, or the, the guardsman who keeps who you know, at West Point that people see sometimes things like that. Um, and then there were studies where, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, this is also like we're talking 1994, 95 level of research that you can do in terms of going to the library and getting a bunch of magazines and the magazines you're going to yank about ghosts are going to lean in the direction of like supporting it. Um, but you know, they would take a whole house that was quote unquote haunted, put EMF detectors everywhere and see what would happen. And they would find localized EMF fields that would manifest and dissipate, um, around the patterns that people discussed. Um, and, but they would do things like go down a hall and then make a right. Um, and so which, uh, a, a non-localized EMF field like wouldn't do, um, like ball lightning. So, uh, but also the idea that when two people can look at the same quote unquote ghost and see completely different things, it's not that there's a physical manifestation because it's just electricity, but it's almost like it's interfering with those individuals nerve centers. Uh, it's like, it's like bleed basically into their own nervous system. And that's why they can't be photographed as readily because, um, the photograph might have some interference, but it's not going to be the same apparatus as the human body. So that this idea in that sense, that ghosts are, um, the shadow, the EMF kind of, uh, signature of a human being unaware that they are still, they're going through the motions, um, in that sense of things. So as that, as a foundation of like, you know, um, you know, there are, Stranger Things in your philosophy than have dreamt of Horatio kind of way like uh, there's orders of science and and uh, manifestation that we can't know about that happen on some level that might be provable or not. But um, when you take things from there, it's like if that is let's let's say that exists, then, you know, who's to say that on some level of those apparatus are real and some of them are not, you know, some of them are, are, are completely, uh, fully aware because of the, the particular conditions where that ghost came into being. Um, so, you know, and that's essentially all comes down to energy. I feel like all those things tie into a lot of medicine in terms of, um, or certainly in terms of Eastern medicine in terms of, you know, I started doing acupuncture recently and, I go in there and I've not read, I've not read up on it specifically, but I have all this stuff in my head that I was just talking about in terms of the electromagnetic field. And he's talking about it and he's, you know, he knows it's my first time doing it. And he's talking to me about it. Like, well, there's this and there's this. I'm like, no, no, I'm like, I'm completely like, I, I'm down to experiment with this. I, I get that these are antenna. <laughs> I get it. And you're moving energy around and you're reshifting flow and like, yeah, just, yeah. And my, my lower back had been hurting me and my wife recommended that I go to the place that she went to. And, you know, I was skeptical going into it a little bit because I'm like, we'll see how effective it might be. Or one session, I didn't expect anything to happen. And the whole time I'm there, I'm like, my back still hurts. My back still hurts. And then I walk out of there and it's like, boom. I'm like, thank you, ghosts, for fixing my back. <laughs> um, so once you get into that, I feel like um, 
if if that's true, then it also stands to reason that if there's if it is possible to manipulate these energies and it is possible to, you know, through you know, through, uh, you know, very, whether it's acupuncture or Reiki or those kinds of things, then who's to say that there's not an additional level that, again, maybe we know about, maybe we don't know about, or we speculate about, or that there is, there are older traditions that certainly invested themselves in figuring out how our bodies worked, like back to shamanistic cultures and things like that. But, but there's also to say that in, um, certainly in the contemporary urban fantasy sense, um, that there's not, that what what's going on with that isn't something that is manipulable and that is controllable using the right tools. Um, the, I do this great series called the Dark Choir series, uh, J.P. Sloan, and it's um, uh, urban fantasy takes place in Baltimore. Um, and the guy we meet him at the beginning is a the the curse merchant is you know he's 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 a trained magician or sorcerer kind of varies, but. Um, all he's doing at this point is is for money is administering curses to various people and and this the system that jp has in that book and how it translates to how he does magic is not this kind of like he just pulls it out of himself style that sort of happens like everything has to be right everything has to be scripted out um the reagents have to be exactly right the formula has to be particularly right in order to manipulate the energies involved um, and he's the, the, the point of that series that he, at least in the beginning, is that he's trying to keep things on the light side and not use blood, not go to dark, not go to hexes. Um, and hilarity ensues. But um, <laughs> but uh, but but that makes me think that like, OK, so, you know, I mean, if the, if there was a way of doing that, of course, it would be a, an incredibly closely held secret. And um, if it came out into, you know, it strikes me. Someone pointed this about Harry Potter recently. Um, all these wizards are so powerful, so powerful, all these wizards, and they don't do a thing on the planet. They don't help anyone. They don't solve <laughs> problems. They don't like cure fam. They're like, oh, no, the muggles can't find out. I'm like, oh, guys, if but just like a little bit, could you like help us out? Just like a tiny bit, like and stop wiping our minds when things go off, you know, um, but uh you know, so that I, I think, you know, how that fits into mythological beasts is a different story. I think like there's probably a lot of, you know, um, you know, evolutionary um, uh, dead ends hanging around here and there, you know, that have been seen or various points. And, you know, uh, you know, whether that is you know, Loch Ness or Bigfoot, I don't know. But um, certainly there are, you know, creatures out there that, you know. Um, I'm not talking like Megalodon. That's actually the book of one of the book I'm working on right now is, is <laughs> even though there's that movie, the Meg coming out, this is a book series called the, the, the mega. And it is also about a Megalodon. Um, though it is also about Levitan Melville, um, which, uh, you know, is there as well too. Tim Campbell. Um, I guess Peter Burko as well. Um, but so I, I uh, you know, I, 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 th- I don't know about vampires, that sort of level of thing, you know, um, non-humanoid other evolutionary you know uh developments that may have occurred that you know i i i'm i guess i'm more skeptical about that but less so about um you know but again that that's who's to say that like if everything else i'm saying about you know um specific brands of sorcery sort of re you know reworking reality in certain ways i guess anything is really possible in terms of what can result from that or what has resulted over those traditions as they've existed for presumably thousands of years in various forms or not so um you know. so so to summarize then what i'm hearing is ghosts yes, yes. 
Um, magic, yes. Yes. Uh, cryptids, yes, yes. definitely cryptids. Um, but vampires, agnostic. Mm-hmm. Until I meet one, and at that point, I'm probably fucked. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of those things where, like, oh, now I know, and then yeah. you're done. <laughs> Then you're right, done, or, then or you have that horrible dinner. secret, like, oh, now I'm a vampire, and, like, how am I going <laughs> to, this is going to change all, like, my social relationships, like, how am I going to bring my kid to school? I'm not going to bring my, you know, uh, unless. But think how much easier than working at night becomes That's for true. You. That's true. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All night long. <laughs> what are you trying to tell us, James? You're going to have to give up that swell tan. That, that's true. And I won't photograph. So no more, uh, that, no that more film work for me. Tan. Yeah. Right. Uh, would, 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 would a vampire's voice record if they're, hmm, if they're, if, if they can't be seen? I don't know. I, I, I think that, I, I do think though, that if the if vampires do exist, all of those things, uh, what, what is, uh, what, what's, what's the story that, that, that does a lot of this kind of thing? They, they put out these myths to deliberately throw people mm-hmm. off. Oh, wasn't it in Lost oh, Boys? Yeah. Where they were like garlic, you know, that's not a thing, you know, like, you know, um, yeah. they sort of like, but I try some holy water. That was a thing that worked, you know, um, if there are these creatures, they, they don't exist anywhere near to the mythological generalizations that we know of and of like, whether it's uh, um, Nosferatu or you know, Dracul or sparkly vampires who live in the Northwestern United States, you know, it, it, it probably doesn't happen like that at all. And the real vampires are like, no, man, that's not what it's like at all, you know. Um, that, that's really the kind of thing that's going on. The, the most recent, uh, Domino Finn had vampire, had, he had a, a different take on vampires that they weren't like they, you know, um, they weren't blood feeding. They weren't necessarily, you know, they were, um, in, in the same way that we think of, um, um, they could be in sunlight, but then they couldn't utilize certain talents and things like that. But, um, and then they were like anyone else just trying to get by, you know, in a way they have a, you know, they're people, they're humanoids too. Just, just a guy trying to make yeah, it. Yeah. And, you know, of it. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. To the best people. (laughs) So, um, you know, I ask everybody this next question, uh, but most people don't know it yet because I've only got like two episodes. (laughs) Um, I couldn't possibly be prepared. (laughs) No, you couldn't. Uh, However, I'm, you know, based on the fact that, uh, you know, we, we, the discussion we've just had, the fact that going into college, you were thinking about becoming a rabbi, but then your senior year, you wrote a, a paper for your, physics class on the science of ghosts. Uh, I, I think I know what the answer is going to be okay. to this. Were you a weird kid? <laughs> I was, I was, I don't, I wasn't weird oh, out. I mean, like I had like, you know, purple it's doc martens and I come had on. like, I was kind of a little punky here and there and just, 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 just excuse me, be honest with me. Um, <laughs> and, and probably like I was, um, you know, uh, l- listening to more, you know, like I was a drummer and like I was doing that whole thing and playing with like hanging out with the rock, you know, the kids who played in rock bands and things like that. But I was also like student council guy and like you know band and choir and like you know i i had to kind of like you know it's it's more like a wearing a few hats kind of guy than like so you were you were in the closet weird maybe you know i I mean i I, but i don't know if like i I don't know how off like truly like i wasn't i wasn't a rebel i wasn't like that kind of punk certainly you know and and then whatever music i listened to i never took as an indication of my like character um just because i would listen to sort of like you know i never went even full-on death metal but like you know 
lots of different kinds of you know you know rock but then also i was also like playing timpani and so i was listening to a lot of shostakovich you know um at the same time so it was, I was like uh you know when i was in high school certainly and it, i was in marching band i couldn't be too weird and i don't actually maybe that's not true oh, we had on. plenty of weird, weird kids in the marching band that I, I i was in marching yeah. band you could you could yeah. be weird well the yeah. drum line in the marching band were, were all of my like my friends who are also drummers, but also my other friends who were guitarists and bassists who wanted to play in jazz band. The deal was you had to play in marching band if you wanted to be in jazz band. So they're, they're not, they were going to learn how to play saxophone or something ridiculous, but they're all like the, the bass drummers and cymbal players and things like that. So we had a, we had a good time. Um, um, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was so eccentric, you know, because I think part of me was always like, uh, I was sort of outward facing and inward facing at the same time. Um, you know, like never, never, never always an extrovert, never always an introvert, you know, and I was doing theater too. So it was like kind of in that sense as well. But, you know, I guess, um, private, I was more on the geekier side of weird, certainly than the obscure, um, you know, uh, oh, the, the you know, uh, there's some weird things in his closet kind of thing. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I never killed a man, um, uh, allegedly or no, they so can't far prove as we it. Know. No. Yeah. Right. No bodies were ever no, found. No, no bodies were found. And maybe they weren't even real people. So, you know, who knows? Um, but, you know, I I, I guess, you know, w within the grand scheme, you know, you, you kind of, I guess I was lucky to grow up in an environment where you can kind of be wherever you wanted to be. And my parents were accepting of who I was and my you know, and friends were along the same lines. And so, you know, I, I, in a different context, yeah, probably deeply bizarre. Um, <laughs> um, like, you know, uh, and, you know, what's he doing? You know, but. Um, but I think that was the thing. I was like, I was just in different, I was moving through different circles of things, you know, um, in terms of what I was, uh, you know, in terms of music, in terms of school, in terms of, uh, hobbies and things like that, you know? Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, so yeah, not like a uh, chicken head biting weird, but you know, my own brand of that, I guess I like chicken a lot. I mean, I make a really good, like, um, herb chicken with like a rosemary and, um, and thyme, you kind of grind it up and mix it with a little bit of butter and, um, you know, put an onion inside. It's, you know, um, cooking with Neil, cooking but not with, on the not subway, on the subway, not in 1972. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, are you weird now? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sitting in a box in my, <laughs> <laughs> we're all weird. Um, so yeah, I'm just sitting in a box talking about the imaginary, uh, voices of books that we read all the time. So that's, that's, I, that's pretty weird, but, uh, in, but respectably, you know, um, I, I, it's adaptive. You've, you've made a living. Right. If you can, if you can harness that weirdness, it probably manifests itself as, as some kind of discipline, but it's very useful. You know, I think about that a lot too, in terms of books, just in terms of like, um, how the, the balance of control versus spontaneity, you know, there's a thing about being on stage where within certain guidelines, because the show is a structure and has to move on, but there is always a lot of room for, um, uh, impulse work. And, um, and I, I guess how for a long time, it's taken me a, a long time and within audiobook to get that feeling in with what I'm doing and not plot things out in terms of like this voice is like this, this is happening here, but you know, about trying to do prep that's sufficient, but not, over prep so that um the book is you know set out within an inch of its life so that that some of that weirdness can pop out in there and 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 give a different unique read to something or or a relatable one too like a human one rather than like a mechanized one you know yeah see and i think that's uh, that's the key i mean that's um honestly when, when i listen to one of your books um 
that's one of the things I, I love about your performances is, you know, they, they don't, it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel dry. It doesn't feel, um, you know, scripted out to an inch of its life. It, it very much has that, um, that kind of intimate feeling of like theater in the round kind of where, you know, you, you are all of the characters and I'm just kind of, I get to sit there and, uh, uh, watch or listen to you in, inhabit all of these, these, these different people, but it always has that, that, um, almost a dangerous, you know what I mean? Like, cause in theater, anything can happen, right? A, a prop can break, a lighter won't light, somebody falls whatever, you know, so there, there's that, that element of, of danger, uh, you know, anything could happen. How are they going to respond? It's very much, you know, that moment that, that the actors and the audience are creating together, um, that's never going to happen again. And I get that feeling from your audiobook performances, right? Even though I know, like in the back of my head, I know the book is written, we know how it ends, I could even read along with, but it's it's alive enough that it has that kind of intimate, dangerous, oh my God, anything could happen right now kind of feeling. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I, I appreciate that you bring that to your performances. Well, yeah, I've, there's been times where I've, I've you know, you notice as you know enough live theater and you notice there's a weird thing that happens when like, I, I, I for a few years I did outdoor Shakespeare and things would go wrong or it'd be raining or something. And so we'd add something like when I do this big cross across a, the field upstage of the, of the playing area, I'll have an umbrella. And then that night I would be able to work the umbrella into whatever that character was doing. Um, and it's this thing about like, when we, whenever we acknowledge that it was raining, the audience was like, yes, we're all in the same place. And they loved it. Um, it's kind of like, you know, there's a thing that happens sometimes when actors crack up with each other because one person's just being too funny. Um, the audience, it, it, it may break the, I know it breaks the narrative in a certain respect, but, um, but really it kind of, it does that thing that live theater is great about live theater in terms of like, we are all really here. Like these things are really happening and anything could happen. You know, I, I guess I feel like I, I want to try to keep that sense in the book somehow while keeping things um, clear, like intelligible, you know, I can't rough it up too much because there's, there's, there's ideas to be communicated and the writing has to be, it certainly needs to be respected and honored, you know? Um, but if you can get to that feeling where they're like, um, not that they're like all, all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm aware I'm listening to an audiobook, but I guess what you're saying, thankfully, and which I guess why I guess I'm explaining in long form why I appreciate what you just said, um, that that's sort of the feeling that of anything could happen. Um, and, and I guess I feel like whenever I've tried, you know, I, I try to work that kind of working method in, um, it just basically means more pickups for me <laughs> in terms of like, hey, all right, I know, I know, I know. OK, you know, like I, I get I get, you know, I'll clear that up, you know. Um, thanks, guys. You know, um, but uh, but. Yeah, they, they frown on ad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've you know, you're often tempted to just to sort of like comment on the book or something, but then you know, of course, that will end up in the final edition, and someone will talk about it in a review. Uh, but I, 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 I've noticed that this is also true with 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 Shakespeare is that when I was first doing Shakespeare, I mark mark the shit out of the text. Um, uh, in terms of like the meter and then the, the breaks from the meter, which is really the, where the important stuff happens and, and emphasizing certain verbs and things like that. And then as time went on, I whittled that down and whittled that down. And then almost like I would have one script where I would do that once and then put that aside and then just work with the 
open text. That's kind of been what's happening with books too. I highlight all this stuff, drop in all this, you know, and there are certain things that I make sure to keep in prep and that keep things moving in the booth, like pronunciations of, you know, obscure words or words that I always forget exactly how they should be pronounced, even though I've said them a million times Um, or plotting out to a certain extent voices. But then I've, that a lot of that stuff is only the stuff that's really necessary stays and everything else kind of falls away. Um, and, uh, and so that it can still feel to a certain extent, like, yeah, yeah, that I guess that anything can happen, but really for me that I can feel that anything can happen while I'm doing it to keep that person, a human being, to keep guard number three, a real guy, even though he's like, Hey, get over here. You know, um, he's got concerns. Like he's got to pay his bills. That's why he needs that guy to get over here now. Um, cause if he doesn't, he's going to get fired or possibly killed more likely killed. Um, and then what's his family going to do? You know, he's a henchman, but he's got a life, um, and a, um, South Boston accent, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up, there are two things I want to talk about. Uh, one, I, I mentioned Tempest investigations. Yes. And, um, so at the, at the beginning of that book, uh, is sort of the, uh, introduction pro well, I guess not really a prologue it's more of an introduction yeah. uh where, where the author is explaining his intent behind the yes, story behind the whole between uh, the whole like the collection based in, in a way too yeah right and the idea is that it's it's very episodic mm-hmm. you know like a like a tv yeah. show basically where you you have your weekly episode uh you know and and it, you know you've got a story arc you've got some standalone episodes mm-hmm. but that's that's really what he was going yes. for uh, with that. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, uh, how did you, how did you find that, um, uh, that slight change in, in, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for in, 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 I guess in the author production, how, how did, how did that, I think well, so, so, something he says in, in that prof- same little intro is about how imagine that every episode has a different director. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that kind of, that, that spoke to me in terms of like the TV that you watch is sort of like we're, we live in an age of show running, of course. And so there's tons of consistency in terms of tone and story, obviously in character, but there is sometimes that slightly different flavor when someone does it. And I don't just mean like, well, they let the star direct this one, so we'll see how it goes. But I just mean in terms of like, um, <laughs> different people who come in and I guess having worked a little bit in TV, you know, and having met these people and seeing how they interact with the talent on the show you know um you can see it on certain sets you know um uh when it's like there's a dominant a- a character who's been in this is you know this is series nine i see this is the ninth season rather and this person is in charge even though there is a director and that director is nominally in charge but the person really in charge is the person you're doing the scene with so it's a that particular kind of dynamic so it's a character in the story, but they're also at the helm at the same time too, um, as being how I, there were, um, I think there's five, uh, chapters in that book. Um, and so each one is a different, like an episode and it has a beginning, middle and end. They, they connect. There's an arc of sorts that go through the whole season as it were. Um, but that I would let each episode take, uh, take on its own character in a certain way and a lot of that was driven by whose third person informed narrative was driving that particular one and moves around a bit too but then the characters grow and the situations they face are are sort of developing like ones you know involving a, sort of a time travel um uh, uh well i don't want to spoil anything for you james but, well, yeah. like it's, you, you know yes, where i am I in do, this yeah book, so, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm parsing what i'm trying to say carefully uh 
and I think a lot of that that third person informed you know uh, approach is something that I you know like to work into everything that I do in terms of who that who the stock uh, who is the the narrator what voice is that narrator versus you know it's a will Patton does this in 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 his stephen king books that i've listened to you know from the beginning of the chapter going into it like who, who this is going to be even before the the name comes up you're like oh this is this guy in this chapter oh now now we're in this guy's head even though it is third person and it's a weird kind of a hybrid of those two different things but with with uh, tempest investigations i kind of let that let that drive a little bit um, in terms of the different stories. And then, you know, like anything else, like in theater, just like trusting the sort of the, the mythology that in the world that he's created and kind of going along with it and, you know, letting the, the, the main thing, I don't think this is a spoiler, but the main character is, um, is not been able to die for a long time. And so he's a bit of a throwback. Um, and how he interacts with contemporary characters is, you know, a lot of the conflict comes in from that and, you know, um, what he decides he wants to do. And well, you'll see what happens, James. <laughs> I can't talk about it because I don't want to ruin the experience. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll have you back on as soon as I'm done with Great. the book. Uh, loving it so far. Really, really enjoying it. Well done. Um, and then uh, the one, the other thing I wanted to make sure and bring up was um, Archangel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which comes out tomorrow, I think. I think it releases yeah, tomorrow. This yeah. Is, um, uh, and this, this is a big, audible, full cast production. Yeah, this was, um, this, and, it's, and, and, and it's William Gibson, you know, you know, uh, uh, it come. It came from a, a. It was once meant to be a screenplay, um, and then that got turned into the the graphic novel, and um, which, which was a f- from a few years ago. And then recently, Audible Studios in Newark have built um, some new. Um, they've been in the process of building new studios for a while, and while they were doing that, they built this. You know larger, um, very well-appointed um, uh, studio that you can have, there's a, there's a booth through the window, but then there's room to set up, you know, I think there was like 12 or 13 different stations um, to do multicast. And they've been doing multicast, but um, breaking it up or doing smaller groups and things like this. But this week could have all of us there. And it was just, it was, you know, three days of, it felt like doing a TV show because they had all of us kind of show up and hang out and then we would pop out in groups to do our scenes. But um and so I'm, you know, playing some a couple of characters that are more consistent than a lot of some other small characters, and it's a great another time travel um, uh, storyline. I, I mean, I'm I'm really I'm, I can't wait to hear what they've done with it because it has all it's you know a bells and whistles production in terms of sound and yeah. um, all that stuff. Well, and and you weren't you weren't there in the booth for the whole story. No, yes. So well, and I I mean I know it. I mean yeah, you know, I read the graphic novel and um and and the, and the rest of it, but how it sounds certainly yeah too. And everyone's work is it, you know is it, we had a, we had a ton of fun doing it. We're kind of like this is a great gig and like look other human beings, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and they're also doing yes right yes um and you know and it was again it was like I said it was it was a nice nice brand new studio that was admittedly I won't lie about that that was nice too and um you know. Um, yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to, to hearing it and see how it goes. And and again, it's William Gibson. So it's sort of like for, you know, right. from uh, read up, grew up reading a lot of his stuff. It's, you know, um, uh, it, that's, that's kind of nice. So, you know, um, yeah, I guess uh, um, uh, it's, yeah, I think it comes out tomorrow. So I'll have to check yeah, that out. I've got it pre-ordered. Yeah. So. Very excited about that. Um, all right. One last thing before I let you go. Uh, is there... Uh, Anything you wanted me to ask you, anything you wanted to talk about that that I didn't get mm. to or that that people generally don't uh, ask you about that, that, you know, um, you know about huh. anything. Well, uh, we come. 
What do you want? What do you want to we talk? Have, about? Let's let's talk about let's talk about raising boys for a second. Um, okay. I yes, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. You know. Um, how do you? I'm I'm I'm, I'm turning it around a little bit. Um, how, uh, in terms of like, I've been coming across this recently cause I want to tell him like the books that I'm working on, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and like, for example, I'm working this one about, you know, about a Megalodon and he, of course being, uh, he likes dinosaurs, of course. Um, though Megalodon is really a shark, not really a dinosaur. Um, I, I guess, uh, how, how do you, you know, in, in terms of the really esoteric stuff, do you, I mean, I know one of your sons is, is considerably older than the other. Um, or, you know, uh, relatively speaking in terms of like these, these kids, you know, um, I have a 13 yeah. year old who is going on yes, 45, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in terms and he listened, he listens to this podcast too, oh, okay. by the way. So, okay. so, yeah. so hey, we're, again, we're, we're, we're talking, talking about, about you, man. Um, about like, how far do you, like, in terms of like, you know, I guess this is talking about like some of the weird stuff too, right. In terms of like, you know, uh, you know, being able to talk about what's possible out there without limiting the possibilities of what's in the universe, uh, but also not freaking them out. So they don't, not able to sleep at night, you know, um, because I, I've seen that's happened sometimes that I've mentioned something or something that he saw, like, um, you know, went like, right. In, like some, some friends of ours came over and we had just moved into the apartment we're living in now. And it's, the building is kind of old, goes back to 1840s. And so I like being kind of friendly about it. Um, my friend was like, Hey, Hey, Edgar, are there any ghosts here? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. And then for a while, the wake ups are all about, I saw a ghost. And so I had to go into the like, okay, here's what a ghost is. So I wrote this paper <laughs> and it's really just, just energy. And to this day, if I ask Edgar, like, what's a ghost? He's like energy, you know, like, great. You know? Um, but how do you, how, how do you, what, what, to what level do you expose them to, you know, uh, the esoterica and, and, you know, yeah. um, and, and the, you know, which, you know, it's, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so, but like, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you approach that? How do you lay that out? Particularly for, for, you know, for, well, the, the, the older one, I guess I would say. Right. The, the Simon, the three, the three-year-old, he, he's pretty much cool with, you know, just daddy reads stories to people right. for a living. He, that, that's his level of involvement. Um, Dogen, my, my 13 year old, uh, yeah, three yeah. and 13. Um, that was planned. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he's uh, on the so on the one hand, I mean, he's he's incredibly like dangerously intelligent, mm -hmm. um, uh, super, super science nerd. Um, I, I think I can say that. I think that's OK uh, for me to, for me to say that with him listening. I don't think his friends will listen <laughs> to this. So um, but being a science, but, but isn't that uh, cooler now? I mean, isn't that, isn't that something that's changed it, about the world is, is like is. being, you know, yeah. woke and smart is better than being, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he goes to a great uh, high school. Uh, he, he skipped a, a grade. Um, I think he skipped like third grade or so. I don't know. It's like third grade was for chumps. Sure. He was just going straight to fourth. Um, so yeah, he's 13, but he's going to be a freshman this year. Uh, but he, and he's been at this high school already for a couple uh -huh. of years and, um, but it's a it's it's a great school. Basically, they're they're all nerds. They're all just super nerds. They're you know they're required to take a certain number of years of Latin. Um, it's wow. so anyway. He's it, it's a very supportive environment for his his high intelligence super yeah. nerdiness. And um, we we actually talked recently, not too long ago, about uh, the existence of ghosts. 
And uh, he was he actually gave like a um, uh, not quite as eloquent as as what you described, but, you know, kind of like the, the same thought process along the well, you know, energy can't be created or destroyed. Yeah. So life energy has got to go somewhere. There's all of this recorded phenomena. Yeah. Um, he actually went on a ghost oh. tour of Cincinnati with uh, me and fellow uh, Cincinnati narrator. Oh, Joe yes, Hempel. I think I saw that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which well, it was a lot of fun. And, and Joe, I mean, Joe does just a ton of like yeah. horror uh, and stuff. Uh, so it was, it was cool Good to company, have him yes. there, but it was also really cool. Yeah. To, to, to bring Dogen mm-hmm. along and, and to kind of, I mean, he, he is well aware that his father is a super nerd, uh, you know, especially as far as, um, you know, my, my weirder, more, uh, urban fantasy, supernatural interests, yeah. uh, you know, my, my statues of Dr. Strange around the house, uh, my, my odd statues decorating inside the booth, all of that the casting sort of circle underneath your rugs. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, he, he knows what he can, what he can talk to dad about what he should, you know, maybe not let his friends, you know, don't, don't go over. There's into dad's a line of salt yet. on the ground. Do not mess it up. <laughs> do not. <laughs> exactly. It's there for a reason. It's going to save you. Okay. Just don't, don't break right. the circle. Uh, so, you know, he's, it, and so on the one hand, I think he's like, uh, you know, I, I think he's highly skeptical mm-hmm. of a lot of things, but, uh, you know, when it comes at, like, at least with the ghosts, he's like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think I could mm-hmm. see that, you know? And, and so, you know, me thinking, of course, I'm like, that's, that's my total <laughs> Yeah. Right. Because that, that, that's, that's kind of what I was bring. saying before. <laughs> like, if that's true, that, and that's something that is largely generally scientifically not accepted fact in terms of like you're not going to, you know, come across that in mainstream science. If that's true, then how can you say that other thing isn't true and if that's true and so forth and so on. So, you know, um, yeah, I, that's that's I mean, I, I think that's as Edgar gets older, I definitely want to sort of like, you know, um, let him go his own path, you know, like it seems like he might like he's good. At, he's better at sports than I or my wife ever was. And I think that might be his form of rebellions to be like a, an athlete and be like, yes, I'm in support of this. But I can't. Uh, I'm terrible at um, Frisbee. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, that he is, you know, and it's certainly I can see it reflected in like the kind of, you know, shows or movies he wants to watch. You know, obviously a lot of action, things like that. I try to steer him towards some things that are more interesting, you know, that might be more fulfilling. But um, while, you know, well, including some standards, but that, uh, you know. I think it's going to be about that environment as he gets older. That's that's supportive of whatever weird direction he wants to take or not. If he's going to be like an all-star soccer player, then that's great too. Um, if he, you know, uh, you know, wants to go some other direction, that's also, also awesome. Oh, you know, uh, so Dogen just came back from band camp last week and, uh, get marching band this year. Um, what does he yeah, play? For, well, mar- okay. trumpet. Yeah. He, uh, my wife started him on cello when he was three. Um, because no, well, yeah, you should, anyway. that, that's you're supposed uh, to do it. Would, People who are would, professional cellists, like yeah. they start when they're that age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and there, there are so many huge, huge mental and emotional be- benefits to, you know, to playing yeah. music from an early age as the brains develop anyway. Um, but he, he managed to switch to, to trumpet, uh, you know, right around middle school. But, uh, we watched the sixth sense. Saturday night. Ah. It was his first time seeing it. I'd say, uh, did he? Did he of, know? Of had and, he culturally been built in? Did he know the thing? Did he know the, the twist? Oh. No, no, no. All he like, all he knew, 
was one, this was M. Night Shyamalan's only good movie. Uh, and, uh, and you know, the icy uh-huh. dead people. Oh, he just, yeah, yeah. Right. So he, that that was it. So he thought the big reveal was, you know, two thirds through the movie when he finally admitted to, to seeing ghosts and everything. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, You're like, Oh, totally. totally. But, oh my God. Having to watching him have to pick his jaw up off the floor when he realized, oh my God, he, spoiler alert, Bruce Willis has been dead yeah. the whole time. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, my, it, it's so satisfying. It was great watching it with him again. So, yeah, I think, or watching it again, but with, yeah, him. I mean, I think there's certain movies where it's, it's curious what he really kind of takes a shine to, you know, it's, you know, he's five. So there's not, we can't kind of just put anything up there. I sort of keep thinking about Star Wars, like, I, I kind of want him to watch Star Wars, but it's also like there's that thing that everyone points out about the end of, you know, episode four. It's sort of like, ah, oh, a lot of people are going to die right now, like on the Death Star, like a lot and a lot of pilots die. And it's just like there's there's it's it's not gory, of course, but it's saturated with death. And um, not that, you know, that's absent in some respect, but not in that volume, you know, but certain, you know, or like. Um, I even mentioned like, well, I think the Harry Potter movies, but my wife was instantly like, no, he's got to read the, we're going to read the books first and then we're going to do the movies. I'm like, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. correct. You know? Um, but, but the, the, I, I'm constantly wondering like where, how far can we go with what's interesting here? And, you know, like he loved, I mean, along those lines of like, you know, he loved the movie Ghostbusters, you know, he was all about it for a while. He particularly mm-hmm. likes this, uh, the, the, no, the original, the like one? the uh, 84 oh, uh, or 85, 84. Yeah. Um, uh, it's also mostly like, he really likes that song, the Ray Parker Jr. Song. Like he's off, you know, like <laughs> echo play the Ghostbusters theme. And we hear it a lot. Or in the car, like we listen to the Ghostbusters theme. Like, like, like that's been pretty steady. Um, but also, you know, there's, you know, and buried in that movie, there's a lot of zaniness, of course, but buried in there is a lot of esoterica, you know, about uh, the structure of the building. You know, and, and, you know, they're, they're, he's taking like one step over. It's always all Dan Aykroyd. He was all into that kind of stuff, apparently, you know. I, I think, though, that a lot of this a lot of this media is um, to steal a term from like esoteric Buddhism. It, it's self-secret. Right. I mean, like you you get out of it what you're able to to get out of it kind of like what you're ready for you know what i mean so if you're five yeah. you you get the the ray parker song <laughs> yeah. um you know it's uh and then you know when you hit 13 it's you know oh sigourney weaver's <laughs> in this movie and, there know, is no dana there is um, a zool yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so i don't you know i don't know i mean i i saw star wars when i was yeah. seven but that was when it came out that was that was actually my first uh, movie ever in a walk-in wow. theater, and that's how old I am. Is that uh, they were they di- they were differentiated from what we now call a drive-in wow. theater. They were so new they were called walk-ins. That yeah. was a big deal. Uh, um, but well, the, uh, yeah, that was the, the first, first one I saw in the movie wow. theater was um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so, you know, there's yes. lots of bang, but, you know, you know, obviously a lot of death. And then there's the, uh, the Nazis faces being melted off, you know, um, right. uh, which sets an interesting precedent for a young Jewish boy. Um, but, and that, that's like another one you listen to later on, you're, and, you, and you're listening to like, you know, later on, like it was years until I saw it later. And then even until like, well, I mentioned my rabbinic period where I'm like, oh, what's, oh, they're saying the Kaddish kind of, sort of, you know, the, the prayer for there's there's different forms of the Kaddish, but he's saying the mourner's Kaddish is the prayer for the dead over the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, you Nazis must melt and die. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Throw some mourner's Kaddish up there. 
uh, up there, um, Reich Hartz. Anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, it'd be interesting to see how that develops as he gets older and where his where his you know his interests kind of develop and lie. But uh, you know, was it self secret? I like that. Yeah, it's just you 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 kind of see what yeah. you're ready for. I think to 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 a degree. And I mean, in some of these things, I'm not saying like you know at at five it's cool for him to you know watch Harry or <laughs> yeah. or something. You know, that's there there's not that's that there's nothing secret no. about that movie. Um, but, you know, especially like, you know, Star Wars, where you've got like the campy kid mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is mm-hmm. a great one because it's got kind of that swashbuckling feel. But then, you know, the, there's there's stuff for the adults, yeah. too. You know, the, the, the deeper you want to look into it. And so, yeah. yeah I mean, we've been watching yeah. we've been watching The Sound <laughs> of Music recently. Um, he's been liking that a lot. And we've watched it a few times now. And, um, you know, it's I think that's a movie that I probably also watched a lot, mostly when I was his age and haven't watched in years. And there's 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 all sorts of great stuff actually in that movie in terms of acting where Christopher Plummer is great in it, you know, like you know it's sort of like such yeah. a different oh, creature yeah. in in so many respects. But um, and then they resolve the whole conflict about um, I'm going to spoil this uh, about you know Maria and and the captain and all of a sudden um, there's like the third act or the last third of it is all about the Nazis again, the recurring theme. Um, and that's, where, that's where Edgar loses interest in the movie. Cause it's sort of, it, it does feel like they worked it out. And in most, you know, situation that's like, yes, they figured it out. They've, they're, they have the meet cute is done. They're together. What a great thing. And then Anschluss, you know, um, and, and all the complications therein, you know, um, and in a way it makes, is what makes it, I think, raises it above that, all that kind of stuff. But that's where he, that's where. Edgar trails off to like, can I get a snack? You know, um, but but he does love his do re mis. Like he sings it as he goes along, and it's amazing that he sings it. Uh, he doesn't know where he's doing this. He's singing it with a British accent. So I, I, I <laughs> like it's not a dia, it's a deer. Like oh, a deer. Oh, doe is a deer, right? Not a dia, a female dia. You know. Oh God, yeah. Dogan grew up watching. Uh, I mean, he was born uh, in two thousand five, and that's I think when uh, they they rebooted Doctor uh-huh. Who. And and so he, like he's been consistently watching it since he came out of the womb, and uh, I think it was like only last year when he realized that it we don't call them missiles. Um, <laughs> no, the aluminium foil, mom. God, exactly. <laughs> um, oh man, I I, I want to keep talking, but format uh, format. I get it. I, Nothing I, personal. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plus, you time, know, right, right. Time. Well, you yeah, you, you have you have work to do, like, James. I have to go to bed. Yeah, yeah I do. So um, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to thank chat Thank you for with having me. me. I, I, and, I really uh, appreciate that. And I agree the things you said and, you know, um, and uh, just have a nice conversation about the things we do. And, you know, um, like we we're saying earlier, this would be the uh, hour and a half long obsessive APAC conversation that we never got to have last APAC. So, you know, here we are. Exactly. And and now other people get to listen to yes. instead of us, you know, going to the corner of the bar and excluding yes. everyone. And, and fewer and fewer beers, fewer <laughs> beers involved. Yeah. Well, well. You're working. Yeah. Maybe maybe no. in your booth. No, I just have my my, my <laughs> silent water bottle. Here, listen, you can't even hear it. I just drank water. Didn't even make a noise. I can wow. I can sneak that in between nice. chapters. Anyway. It's it's the weird skills yeah, exactly. we developed. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I am gonna right. let you go. And uh yeah, again, thank you so thank much. You for and me. uh yeah, we will uh we'll definitely have to talk Absolutely. again soon.
And I want to make sure to give a shout-out to our patrons and supporters, beginning with Dogen Foster, C. Stephen Manley, Colleen Jackson, Audiobooks After Dark, the podcast of Paul Stokes, and Zachary McElroy. Thank you all so much. I, I, I appreciate your support so much. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without you. Um, and if you'd like to uh, support this podcast and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode, as well as a bunch of other cool uh, supporter-only stuff, head on over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizard level or higher. We'd greatly appreciate it. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash jamesnarrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back.